This play is a classic because Doña Leonora is the swashbuckling adventurer, lady fighter, badass of your dreams. Yes! This is a classic because it is one of the earliest FUs to the patriarchy and it is done with such suave prowess. She's doing such complicated work all under the guise of like this absurd comedy. (laughs) Heck yeah. Heck yeah. This is a classic because getting even with your ex is, I fear, an enduringly relevant topic. Oof. (laughs) Oof. This is our history. This is our legacy. And welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Sky Pagan, curator for Expand the Canon and member of Hedgepig Ensemble. And me, Mary Candler, founder and former artistic director of Hedgepig and curator for Expand the Canon. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based theater company that reimagines the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. Today, we are digging into Ana Caro's Valor, Agravio y Mujer from the Expand the Canon list, available at expandthecanon.com. Sky, um, you speak more Spanish than me, certainly. So what, what, does, this, what does this title literally translate to? Uh, it is most commonly translated to Valor, Outrage, and Women, or Courage, Outrage, and Women, something like that. Excellent, excellent. Uh, my Duolingo hasn't gotten me there. I'm just talking about how, like, dogs are drinking milk. It's great. Um, <laughs> we looked at a few different translations and adaptations of this play when we were kind of looking at it for the list, and the great array of titles really does give you some insight into this play. So we've got listed A Courage to Right a Woman's Wrong by the Diversifying the Classics team. Ooh, I love that title. Mm, I'm into it. Um, let's call that title a loose translation of the actual words. <laughs> we've also got Amy Kaminsky's translation called Valor, Outrage, and Love. A slightly closer translation, um, but just missing the word woman, you know. And we are eagerly awaiting Catherine Boyle, who helped us fall in love with Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz, House of Desire, for our 2020 Expand the Canon list, to finish and publish her version of the play, which will be entitled The Courage of a Woman in Rage. Yes, I had the great privilege of reading a draft of her translation. I really hope it gets out there so soon because, wow, it was really great, even in a draft form. So, (laughs) anyways, there's a lot of little baby spoilers with the various titles. So, how exactly did we pitch this play, Sky? If you want a scorned heroine who is determined to live in a revenge tragedy, but accidentally finds herself in a comedy... Consider this Spanish Golden Age play with cross-dressing, love triangles, swordplay, and soaring verse. This is a celebration of women's agency. Doña Leonora dresses like a man and crosses Europe to get revenge on her ungrateful ex who left her unmarriageable. Along the way, she manipulates others in her sphere, often through the clever use of funny voices, causing confusion and antics, and ends up with a triumph that she deems better than any murder. Ooh, I stand by that. Ooh, what a good pitch. <laughs> Legacy. 
this is the classic that everyone should be producing and seeing and learning about in school because it is one of the like earliest FUs to the patriarchy. <laughs> within certainly like within the limits of the time, right? You know, I think sometimes it's easy to come at these plays from, you know, Spanish Golden Age time and say like, oh, that's not really feminist or is that really smashing the patriarchy? And it's like, if you think about the constraints that they were living in at that time and how strong those structures were, like just poking the bear a little bit is this huge act of rebellion. We'll get into a little bit more what this play is about later, but it's also sort of a retelling and spoofing of the Don Juan myths of Mm. like Don Juan is like the sexy womanizer who like just sweeps around you know, taking advantage of women, leaving them uh, adrift. And this play is about somebody who was taken advantage of by Don Juan and is out to get her own back, which is great. I mean, it's like, as you said, it's just, it's very feminist for the time. I love that so much. I really hadn't even deeply thought about how this connects to all the Don Juan myths, but um, please do this in rep with a Don Juan play too. That would be so exciting. Yeah. And the other thing, like, uh, that's great about this play that we touch on in the um, kitsch a bit is like it's funny it's like a me- it's like a melodrama it's hilarious and it's like very it, it's very self-aware it's very much spoofing that sort of like crazy revenge tragedy of the times um, every there's like this great my favorite scene which we'll get into later where it's like there's multiple balcony scenes happening at once and nobody is speaking to the person they think they are um, it's just hilarious. It is a, a, quite a comedy of errors, you might say. Indeed, but it's like a comedy of errors with that sort of heart of like a woman who was wronged who is out to get her own back. And I also love that. <laughs> I love that it's like usually when it's like, oh, the woman's getting her own back, it's like, I'm going to get my man back. And this one, she's like, no, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> she's like, the way to make this right is through death. <laughs> Truly, who hasn't felt that? Truly, I, I this is going to be a slight tangent that we'll probably cut out of the podcast, but um, I absolutely was reading this play and thinking about when I was on the dating scene in New York, using all the apps, doing that whole thing, and um, I went on like five dates with this dude, and it was all like going fine and going whatever, normal, and then he ghosted on me, and I have like never been ghosted on before, and I find nothing more rude than just like, like I, I'm a big girl. You could just say like, hmm hey, this isn't working out. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. But like ghosting, oh. And I remember thinking for years, like I still hold on to this. If I ever ran into that dude in a bar in New York, I would like throw a beer in his face. And like that feeling of like just wanting to years later, just like toss a cocktail in his face is like the small version of Doña Leonora. Coming to Spain to kill her ex-lover. It's also great, though, because, you know, it's turning that trope of, like, this sad, weeping woman left by her lover on its head. I love that, too. And, you know, I I think it's a modern theater maker that deals in issues of honor a lot in the classics. That can be a really challenging, like, thing to dig into. But there is something about how having a woman take on honor and say, like, that's not just for the boys club but like I'm taking this on too because I have an honor that I can like fight back on suddenly actually makes honor and duty 
more contemporary. Yeah. And there's also like great moments of sort of female friendship in this play as well. I mean, there's the, the one of my, the, in dealing with honor, one of my favorite things is, you know, Dona Leonora has been scorned by Don Juan. She's like traveled across Europe to find him. Uh, but like the other women, when they hear about this past that Don Juan has had, are not happy about it. Like there's this whole thing where Don Juan's there sort of courting another woman uh, when Dona Leonora finds him. And when the other woman finds out about this sordid past, she's not pleased. And it's like this, uh, just like, it's what you said. It's like making that sort of honor more versatile of like, I think that is very, that's very, that's a very emotional thing. Um, and it's a very familiar thing of like, oh, if I hear this dude has been crappy to other women, I am not going to trust this dude. Yeah. That feeling of like your oath means nothing. <laughs> dun, dun. It's interesting to me that this play for many, many years was kind of, um, it was tossed aside as a bad play. The gatekeepers that be put the stamp of like not worthy on it. And reading some of the kind of translators notes and how they grappled with some of the things that were kind of, you know, first layer turnoffs. What they realize is that when you sit with it, when you understand Anakaro, the women of the play have so fewer weapons than the men do and those weapons are mostly rhetoric and words so they Mm -hmm. talk a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot because it's all they have and they achieve so much through that conversation but um it is only through really skillful translation that we can make that kind of palatable for a modern audience Mm. I mean, yet again, getting into one of our favorite conversations, which is we love translators. We love translators who are coming at plays from different perspectives and different backgrounds. And if you want to translate a play for us or you want to translate one of the plays that we have on our list, slide into our DMs. Let us know. We love it. That was like the sexiest call to translators I've ever heard. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Truly. And it's actually on the translation front. You know, we're kind of talking about three translations right now. Um, There may be others out there that we don't know about. Um, I looked at the Amy Kaminsky version in the uh, Water Lilies anthology of Spanish women writers. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, if you're going to tackle this play, what translation do you want to go with? And if I were going to characterize the Amy Kaminsky translation, I would say it's deeply heightened language. Um, Mm. It is florid. It is beautiful. That's what attracted me to that translation is that it really feels like beautiful verse and text. It's also the bonus of being laid out side by side with the Spanish. So if you are working with a bilingual company, it could be a really cool thing to look at those um, two side by side texts and work with those. Um, but this is your definitely your most heightened language for sure. We should explain in revisiting these plays for working on this episode of the podcast, Mary and I decided to each reread a different copy. So this will be fun to sort of, uh, I think we both read both copies back initially, but for this, we were like, let's each read a different one and see how that informs this conversation. So I reread most recently the Diversifying the Classic version, um, which is much more sort of contemporary language, less of that sort of a florid soaring verse i mean it's still there because that's what's in the play but they've definitely like made an effort to like make the language very feel very accessible and i mean that works very well for this play as well i think i mean the thing that i also wonder you know you were saying that historically this play was sort of uh underrated by a lot of scholars and things i remember initially us when i read this for the first time being like is this a tragedy like what is going on and then you 
once you sort of figure out that it's very self-aware comedy and like melodrama it all sort of falls into place and that again is the sort of thing where like i think a thoughtful director would have a lot of fun with this play because it's absurd it is an absurd play the things that happen are insane but it's like just over the edge from like where a tragedy might be because all these things happen in these like very big classic you know jacobian and early modern plays you know we have those love triangles we have those dramatic turns and sword fights on stage and things like that and if you just like push them a little bit further it becomes hysterically funny in reading and i'll also say that i also read the Catherine boyle translation which kind of strikes a difference between i would say the diversifying the classics and the amy kaminsky where it is um, heightened language, but it's not verse. She um, she keeps the structure and the feel of the language, but abandons verse. And it's, um, to me, the funniest version. Um, hmm. It is really, really hilarious. And when I read that, I thought, you know, um, you know those Marvel movies that are like big action, like the <laughs> world is about to disintegrate, but then there's like a very funny leading superhero? Yes. Like that, to me, is this play of like, yes. you've got this like Doña Leonora <laughs> Tonya Leonora is basically a superhero. She can, like, fight. She is a lover. She's a mastermind. She can seduce anyone. She's also very funny. So you've got this, like, all these high-stakes world-ending drama, but at the heart mm-hmm. of it, it's, like, hilarious. Yes, absolutely. It's I love that idea of, like, her being in a Marvel movie. <laughs> this, is, this is the Marvel movie on our list. Very genre-defying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the costuming for it already. Oh my god, it's thrilling. Legacy. It's it's a complex many 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 love triangle on top of love triangle story. <laughs> but what is what really happens here? So, okay, we have act 1, which I'm going to call The Forest is a Turntable. Ooh. Now, let's be clear. You do not need a turntable to do this play. You could do it probably in a black box. No big deal. But this is what it feels like. So <laughs> we start in Brussels. Um, and the, the starting image of this play, I love, I love, I love. It's these two women, Estella and Lizarda. And they are in full hunting gear. They are out hunting. They are descending a mountain. And they are totally lost. There has been a crazy storm and they have lost their way but they're just like mm, two plucky ladies going out to do their lady hunting i don't know um that's not the right connotation but um two plucky ladies gone hunting mm-hmm. um they are lost and all of a sudden this bunch of ragtag bandits arrive and they're like you're down on your luck bandits like man we haven't been able to rob no one in a, quite a while and they're like we're bad at being bandits um very entertaining and then it's like haha two fine ladies um who they discover and tie them up oh no um just at this tying up moment don juan (gasps) arrives and fights off the bandits Uh, it's very princess bride (laughs) yes it is yes it is so many good movie references here um so Estella is like ooh my hero she is so taken by him and begins to feel that like love inside feeling also gratitude and Don Juan feels the same about her so wow 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 he explains to them that he is a stranger in the land he is newly arrived and then suddenly da 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 
Don Fernando arrives with a bunch of folks. Um, they've come out to find the women. So we're just gaining lots of folks on this stage here. <laughs> and The forest is a turntable. The forest is a turntable. And um, so far, the only people turned out have been the bandits. Um, they, they learn of this great bravery of Don Juan, and they invite him to stay with them in the court. Cool. Hey, nice. crazy twist. Turns out that Juan is actually from the same place in Spain as Fernando. Hmm. Cool. So the ladies head off on their turntable, on their carriage, what have you. <laughs> and we're left with Don Fernando and Don Juan. And Don Juan then kind of gets a little bit more into his history, where he just kind of casually tells Don Fernando what a total jerk he is and why oh, he no. left Spain. Mm -hmm. So he had been publicly courting, had become engaged to, and took the honor of a young woman in Spain. <gasps> and he just kind of wasn't that into her anymore so he had to get out and sure he feels a little bit guilty about ruining her life since in this time she lost all of her honor and basically has nothing left for herself in the future and he feels a little bad about it so don fernando to his credit in an aside lets us know that he thinks that's pretty crappy but bro code Juan mm. did just save Estella. He is a fellow countryman, so whatever. It's fine. I do love the, like, way ever, that Juan is, like, there. at least in the translation I read, he's like, about, he's, like, telling his life story to the women when Fernando comes in, and he's, like, about to get to the part where he'll have to, like, reveal the reason he left, and then Fernando comes in, and then the women leave, and then he, like, has this aside where he turns to Fernando, and he's like, oh, thank God I didn't have to say that in front of the girls. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's like... If you feel bad saying it in front of the women, maybe you shouldn't be saying it in front of the dudes either. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird share. It's a share that I'm not clear it's a weird why, share. why it is being shared. But I feel that way on Instagram all the time. So there you, well, there you are. I get it. Um, okay, so then the t turntable turns. They head out. And another chap arrives in the forest with his servant. But wait. <gasps> it is not a chap at all. It is a woman in disguise. And twist. Twist. It is that very scorned slash betrayed slash dishonored woman that we just learned about that Juan left behind, and she is on a revenge mission. Mm -hmm. We learn that this woman is Doña Leonora, and twist, another twist, she is the sister to Don Fernando. There we go. There we are. I mean, the way that we get around that and, like, him not recognizing her is that he left when she was sick, so, like, wouldn't recognize her. Fine. So then we have my favorite, like, monologue in the world. Doña Leonora, who is now, as dressed in these male clothes, is going to go by Don Leonardo. She has a plan to kill her unfaithful lover. Get it done. Get it done. So before the end of the act, she's got this crazy monologue that is so great. It's about gender inequity and honor and how a woman can take her power back. And let me tell you, this is like that moment in the Marvel movies where you're like, yeah! The, the trumpets swell. Exactly, exactly. And that heads us right into Act 2, which I will call Everyone is in Love with Estella. Da, da, da. Da, da, da. So we got lots of major love triangles. Estella is now bound by honor to love Don Juan since he saved her. And at first, she was pretty into that. Don Juan is truly in love with Estella. She's like radiant being, what have you. As truly as one can be in love having proved that he can fall out of love. Well, well. Um, Fernando 
is also quietly in love with Estella, but he doesn't do much other than suffer in asides to the audience. Like, we barely know this is on his radar, but he's like, I like her too. (laughs) OG sad boy, Fernando. Exactly. Now, Ludovico, the prince, who I have not yet mentioned here, is also in love with Estella, and he thinks it's a total no-brainer that she choose him because he is a prince. Uh, Duh. He's just like the annoying rich boy in the play. He totally is. He totally is. Um, Meanwhile, Estella has zero time for Ludovico, does not care about him. And the problem is that she was at first quite taken by Juan because of his gallantry. But that has faded. And that faded pretty much the moment that Don Leonardo, a.k.a. Doña Leonor, arrived disguised. (gasps) So Leonardo is wooing Estella in hopes to break this thing between her and Juan, make that kind of go away. And she is doing a really good job at it, too. She is calling attention to how mm, affections are, let's say, fickle. And this stupid code of honor that is so prevalent is completely bonkers. And Estella is eating it up. So in like a mastermind move leonora sets up a series of meetings between various lovers this is where things get really really cross and (laughs) the balconies the balconies so many balconies so many people in disguises and people not being who they're supposed to be it is a delight it is a cross scene it's wonderful um but before she even gets to this balcony scene um she's headed there and she runs into juan so she's dressed as don leonardo Juan arrives and um, she begins to duel with him because she says she knows about this like broken honor thing. And Juan is like, what? How does anyone know about that? So she is like fighting. Knows about Leonor, you mean, back in. Yes, yes, yes. Knows about Leonor back in Spain. And Juan is like, what is that about? How does anyone know that? So um, they get into a fight. Fight, 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 fight. And Don Leonardo is like, I'm going to kill you. And Don Juan is like, but why? How? What is happening? So then Fernando shows up, which is like not ideal timing, and is like, Don Leonardo, I will fight with you against Don Juan for whatever reason we are fighting. (laughs) (laughs) And Don Leonardo is like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. No, now I'm joining Don Juan's team. And Don Juan is like, what? Why is this person who's just trying to kill me now fighting with me? So finally they get Fernando off, and we learn that Don Leonardo is just like, no, I wanted to kill him. I wasn't going to let Don Fernando kill him. Come on now. Anyways, this fizzles out. They put this fight on ice for a moment, and they say they're going to finish it later uh, because they both got some meetings to get to at said balconies. (laughs) Um, So it's super-duper confusing and delightfully entertaining. Um, So we get to these meetings. Estella expects Doña Leonora to... Oh, sorry. That's really confusing. Estella, which is right. <laughs> which is yeah. absolutely correct. That is a spirit. Doña Estella expects Don Leonardo to come woo her outside of her window. But instead, um, Leonora sends Ludovico, the prince, to pretend to be Don Leonardo. Meanwhile, she has sent... Don Juan to a different balcony. Don Juan expects to see Estella, but instead sees Doña Leonora dressed up as a woman who he assumes is Estella. Does that make sense, Guy? Did you follow that? Yes. Okay, yes. great, great, great. So all of these kind of crazy conversations are happening. Basically, Doña Leonora, pretending to be Estella, says, I know about Doña Leonora 
in Spain. I have heard about it and I am not cool with it. And Don Juan's like, what? Another person knows this? No. Um, and the conversation between uh, Ludovico and Estella is basically just shows Ludovico that he truly has no chance at getting yep. Estella. Um, which I guess it's, that sidebar, that part of the scene is so funny to me because it's just Ludovico being like, hey, so like, what do you think of that guy? Like, Ludovico, he's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> and Estela is just not having She's it like, at I all. don't even know why we're talking about that guy. <laughs> and then he, like, he just keeps, it's so, it's, it's so middle school. It's, and he's like, so what do you think about Leonardo? Not that I care. <laughs> it is really, it's really good. Um, so, you know, go read it, go produce it. So then we get to act three, which I am calling for the sake of honor, everyone must die. <laughs> <laughs> so now Juan is like, wait, the only person that knew about my scorned lady in Spain was Don Fernando, so he must be blabbing it around to everyone, and for that, I must fight him. Naturally. Naturally. Meanwhile, Fernando learns that the woman that Juan left was actually his sister. Leonor. Yeah. So now he's out for blood, too. <laughs> and then... Truly, I don't know why Ludovico wants to duel. I think it's, like, to get Estella or something. But <laughs> it's, like, the shenanigans of also Ludovico needs to, like, duel and die or whatever. Just masculine rage. Yes, masculine rage. Just needs to, he just, like, saw fighting and was like, must go. Um, uh, but basically, everyone recognizes that they're in this pickle where the only way to uphold the code of honor is for everyone to die. Yep. And it's, like, this great moment of, like, hmm. <laughs> who is this working for they literally say that they literally have that conversation where they're like well i have to kill you and you have to kill me so i guess we i guess we have to kill each other okay okay, okay. yes here we go all right don leonardo disappears and then returns as dona leonora da -da -da reveal the reveal the great reveal and um basically the ending of this play is very divisive again we are working in the spanish golden age and there are certain conventions that one must um must bow to i suppose and so we do kind of um end in a happy ending where everyone gets together and is happy and doña leonora ends up with don juan and you know what the plus side is that not everyone had to die and you know apparently they're happy it the thing i do like is like that ending moment is hilarious because it, it, it like truly spoofs that thing of like oh don, like oh it really like it really could have ended with like don juan and leonora making up which is what happens um like he you know realizes his wrongs he apologizes to her etc etc and it could have ended there but then estela and fernando get together and then it's like uh ludovico and lizarda get together and then the servants get together and it's it's funny it's yeah. like it's just like hysterical yeah it's like, it's like if i have to have this conventional ending i'm gonna like pump it up on steroids and I'm pretty sure there's, like, at least in at least the diversifying the classic version, there's a line where, like, the servants getting together. It's like, well, we've had three marriages already, so you might as well have four. <laughs> yeah, let's like, get in on this party. I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. It's like, you know, it's not just a pat ending. It's like a pat ending that then is, like, so pumped up that it becomes a huge comedy in and of itself. Yeah. And there's all these other, like, you know, there's more silly subplots where, like, there are the servant characters who are, like running around courting each other and setting each other up the entire time as well like there's there's so much jam packed into this play um it's just bananas it's like oh the other thing we forgot to say is that don juan is like i have to kill leonardo because he thinks leonardo uh, Dion Le Dona leonor tells him that 
she, as Don Leonardo, had gotten, had become involved oh, right. with Donya Leonor. Because <laughs> I forgot there was like another duel in there where he's like, no, I gotta kill, yeah. gotta kill this guy too. Yeah. Oh, which and, is which just is brilliant. So, it's so, oh, we have to talk about that too. Because it's like, mm, it was totally fine for Don Juan to leave Donya Leonora. But the moment that he finds out that Donya Leonora got with someone else, he is like, that is not honorable. I cannot stand for that. And it's like, you can't stand for the lady you left moving on with her life. I know. Ugh. It's not cute. Um, but it is very funny because he's like at war. He's like trying so hard. It, 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 he has like all these asides during that scene where he's like, I got to be cool about this. I got to be cool about this. And then he just has no cool. He just loses his. <laughs> he just loses it completely. Oh my gosh. I really want to see someone produce this play. Do this play. That's the thesis Do here. this play. History. So this is the earliest play in Expand the Canon Cinematic Universe. <laughs> this is the origin Marvel story, um, <laughs> if you will. So now that we have covered the bananas insanity that is this play... Let's turn to the woman behind the madness. So who is Anna Caro, Mary? Anna Caro Mayende Soto is truly a woman of mystery. Uh, We know so, so, so little about her, um, which Amy Kaminsky sums up really well in her introduction to her translation and says... The only image history permits us to trace of Anacaro Mayan de Soto is that of a professional writer. Stripped of her personal life by time and oblivion, the dramatist and poet chronicler does not exist outside the memory of her work, and her work was not autobiographical. Hmm. Which is a really lovely way of saying we don't know much about her. Um... The dates of her life are even unclear. Scholars situate her by um, using references in her writing. So the earliest reference we see is 1628, and the last reference is 1645. And she's believed to have been born somewhere between 1590 and 1600. Perhaps she was born as a Morisco slave, adopted. Oh. I know, adopted by Gabriel Caro de Mayan and Ana Maria de Torres. Many have assumed that she was born in either Granada or Seville, but we truly don't know that. Um, But this certainly puts her right in the middle of the Spanish Golden Age. And she writes poetry, and she writes these studies of festivals and cultural activities. Um, And she also writes plays. And she is paid to do this, which means that she is arguably one of the first female professional writers in Spain, or really in Europe as a whole, which is pretty, Mm. to quote Emily, badass. (laughs) (laughs) Is it like, I guess it's coming out of that tradition also, where it's like, we've talked about a lot of these plays written by women uh, from early times. It's like a lot of this sort of like closet plays, as we refer to them, where it's um, plays that were not written to be performed, but were written sort of to be read in your closet, your salon, um, amongst friends. So that's sort of where that, I think, uh, difference of the professional writer yes, yes, yes. comes out of it because it th- that would have been really unheard of and really unprecedented. Women weren't allowed to be professional in that way. Yeah, and it's really interesting the way that she is professional too because there were other women writers at the time um, but they were really focused on poetry um, and like some religious stuff and Anna Caro really breaks into more male-dominated aspects. So these, um, these little studies of festivals and cultural activities that I referred to are like a 
a boys club. Like this is like news mm. basically. It's like putting out rhetorical news in a way and that was really a man's world that she was also in and also writing plays really put her in a different category as well in very much of her writing she is deeply aligned with the church and state and kind of the ethos of all of that but what's interesting is the two plays that we have um and we assume her canon was huge but we have so little of it left so we have two plays el conde partenuples and yeah. Valor Agravio y Mujer are the only two full-length plays that are still existing in the world right now. And maybe we'll turn something up in a library somewhere. But these plays that we have are really different than all of her other writings in which they really start to kind of push back um, and challenge some cultural assumptions in a way that it seemed like in all of her other writings that this was like a real kind of like state line like in in with the party kind of writer mm. so it's kind of exciting to see this other side it's so wild that we know so little about so many of these women i mean it makes sense in the sense of like you know people didn't people weren't sort of recording autobiographies in the same way we don't have as much information especially about women especially about women in non-english speaking cultures um but wow if we put you know there's always this endless quest to find more Shakespeare plays, you know, under a rock somewhere, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to find a new one. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah. If we put the same zest and research behind finding other plays by Anna Caro, I feel like the likelihood of there being more writing by this writer somewhere yes. is so high. Because it's yes, just yes. like, it's got to be in some archive somewhere um, and just hasn't been attributed. So shout out to uh, not only translators, but if anyone wants to do some digging around in some libraries, any academics or doctoral students looking for a, a, a fun thesis project, I like maybe, it. Uh, I like it. I think let us know. I have seen, you know, I've looked at our podcast analytics. I know we have a couple listeners in Spain. If you want to go into your, the archives of your libraries and dig around, that would be dreamy. Slide into our DMs. <laughs> Somehow less sexy that time. so now we have one of our most favorite monologues this is leonora read by the wonderful ashley christine vega and leonora has traveled from spain to brussels disguised as a man for vengeance on don juan who is the man who had promised to marry her and then left her dishonored She has just encountered him for the very first time in her disguise, and he did not recognize her and left her alone on stage. Take it away, Ashley. When? Oh, when, oh heavens, will you rain down your fury upon him? When will there be consequences? Where has justice fled? Where has it gone? How can it cover up such iniquity as this? Justice undoes itself in pleading for a villain. Where are your thunderbolts, O Jove? Does your arm lie useless and idle? How can you suffer this barbarous betrayal? Does Vulcan not provide weapons of fire forged by his hammer from which there is no escape? Where is Nemesis, goddess of revenge? To which god has she ceded her power, who might gladly avenge me instead? Fortune meets out its blows at a whim. Merit has no importance. Virtue finds no reward. Is love held in such low regard 
that one who claims to be noble need not restrain his affections? What is this misery? How can such truth be hidden, such affection despoiled, such excellence destroyed, such blood dishonored, such modesty bandied about? How can honor such as mine be consumed and undone? I, to be spurned and dishonored like this? What evils the heavens allow? My nobility scorned, my reputation tarnished, my devotion unrequited? Is it possible that my faith, which reached beyond the farthest stars, could be so slandered by Don Juan? Vengeance! Vengeance, O oh heavens, let the world gossip. Despite what people might think, all will witness in my valor the most amazing story, the worthiest resolution the world has ever seen. And, and I swear by the blue-veiled heavens and by all the lights that shine within them, either to triumph or to die in the attempt without a thought to quarrels, to scorn, contempt, disdain, ingratitude, antipathy, or hatred. I will see my honor restored to the very heavens above. Either my madness will absolve my errors, or that same madness will grant me the courage to right a woman's wrongs, with what excesses it may require, with what errors may come. Thank you so much for joining us for Anacaro's Valor, Agravio y Mujer episode of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. You can learn more at expandthecanon.com. If you believe in the importance of expanding the canon, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to this podcast right now. And then hit the share button and forward it along to a friend, colleague, professor, or an ex you want to get back at. <laughs> That'll really good burn. I sure did send you that on a car podcast. So good. For information on what is up next, you can follow us on Instagram at Hedgepig Ensemble Theater, Facebook slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater, or check us out on TikTok. Or even better, join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. You can also support this effort directly by donating at the link in the comments below. Again, I'm Mary Candler. And I'm Sky Pagan. So long. Farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye. <laughs> Good. Terrible. <laughs>